You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, and this episode of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast is brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. ES Audio. The Evening Standard Rugby Podcast with Lawrence Delalio, Supported by Fuller's London Pride. Official beer of Premiership Rugby. Support with pride. Hello and welcome to the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast, supported by Fuller's London Pride. I'm Lawrence Delalio. Now, unfortunately, no Sarah Elgin this week. Sarah, we hope you get well very soon. Luckily, our rugby correspondent from the Evening Standard is in fine form. It's Nick Purewell. Hi, Nick. I'm assuming you were at Twickenham at the weekend. We'll talk about that later on, but feeling slightly better than you were maybe after uh, 10 minutes of the match. Absolutely. The laptop got doused with beer from the Appetir as well for the first time ever at Twickenham. So you can tell the fans are happy. Well, listen, we'll chat a little bit more later on. We only ever bring you A-list top class uh, guests on this show and uh, my next guest is no different. I welcome a former All Black with 81 caps for New Zealand. He's been a Tri-Nations champion countless times. A series winner against the British and Irish Lions in 2005. He's won super rugby titles for fun with Canterbury Crusaders, just to name a few of his accolades. Uh, Justin Marshall. Marshy, good morning to you. Thanks for joining us and a great pleasure to see you, my friend. Good morning to you, Lyle, and uh, thank you very much for having me on. Uh, I must admit, when you say you don't usually scrape the bottom of the barrel, I was wondering where it was leading, to be perfectly honest. But um... <laughs> it, was a, it was a toss-up between you or Mertz, mate. And uh, <laughs> I, I thought, we've got to go for you because, well, one, you'll turn up and two, you'll be able to speak. <laughs> <laughs> That's absolutely right. Now, albeit I have been here for three and a half weeks, so the voice is a little croakier than it should be. That's due to a lot of sociability, but it's been brilliant to be back in this part of the world. Not been over here since 2018, and neither have the All Blacks in playing here. So uh, it's been brilliant to be back and great to see rugby reset and uh, skip back to normal and a full house of Twickenham at the weekend. How good was that? Yeah, fantastic. And five years. Yeah, we forget about the fact that there was that COVID thing going on and, and obviously mm. stopped everyone from travelling. Now, before we get into the rugby chat, of which there is lots across a packed international weekend, we like to see what everyone's been getting up to. Now, I heard a little rumour, or maybe looked on social media, which I don't do very often. You were eating truffles, were you, this week? I mean, when you come to <laughs> London and you want to eat truffles and you know a bloke called Lawrence Delalio, surely I'm <laughs> the man you go and see, because otherwise you're going to get ripped off and pay a lot of money. I tell you what, Lowell, and that was a real revelation to me as well. The price of a truffle is something that I'd love to be able to get myself into business-wise because if you could grow truffles, <laughs> you could be a very rich man. And the, the, the person I was chatting to, they could hear my foreign accent, no, I didn't have a clue about it. Actually said that was quite a cheap truffle at 750 quid. Like you can get them for three and a half, five grand. I was like, oh my God. And with guys like Olo Brown and Craig Dad, you'd have some truffle hunters as well, wouldn't you really? <laughs> yeah, you would. You would. They'd be close to the ground and uh, they've certainly got a nose to sniff out a beer. So 
if you could train them to sniff out a truffle as well, you'd go on fire. And Nick, yeah, what about you? I mean, uh, you were trying to uh, get an interview with uh, with Mako Vunapola. Did you manage to get hold of him? Yeah, it happened and it was good. Yeah, he was on good form. We were just talking about the hacker and uh, Tongas Sippy Tau and he was saying how when he was a young lad, he and his brother and his cousins would uh, learn the Sippy Tau from his dad. He would teach them in the front room. So just did, obviously the wider significance of him being born in Wellington and Tongham uh, heritage and all of that ahead of facing the hacker. So it's, uh, yeah, it's really, it's really interesting actually him talking about how all that sort of filters in and then how that sort of mixes together with, you know, his major pride for representing England. He seems to be in good form at the moment. Hopefully uh, he'll carry that on for the rest of the season and into the World Cup. Don't forget, you can also watch the full extended video podcast at londonpridebeer.co.uk. Please drink responsibly. Marshy, we are going to talk about the games, but I just wanted to put a few questions to you. First of all, we mentioned earlier on, you're a legend of the game. You played all over the world, but mainly in New Zealand for Canterbury and the All Blacks. 81 caps, I think, for the All Blacks scoring, what, 24 tries. So that's a pretty good strike record. I think you were part of that golden era for New Zealand. And in those sides, you, you played with and against some of the legends of the game. And I know it's always invidious to, to ask people this, but if you were to pick out one or two of those highlights in a black jersey, where would they be? It's a very valid question, Lowell, because like at the moment, what a lot of people always seem to talk about is the build-up to a Rugby World Cup. And look, I get it. It's the pinnacle. It's where you test yourself on the big stage over a period of time. But in my mind, the game's just got so much more history. And particularly for the All Blacks, you know, a Test Series win for us in 96 on South African soil for the first time ever. That was really rewarding. And it was, I guess, an achievement that the All Blacks had, had never had before. So it was good to be in a side that set history. You know, Rugby World Cups, I went to two, lost two semifinals. One of them, as you very well know, led to you guys going on to win in 2003. But, you know, they were still fantastic to compete at. I don't hold any grudges to the fact that I never won a, a final. That's sometimes rugby. It's still just good to compete at World Cups. And then, obviously, the British and Irish Lions, you mentioned that, you know, like some of the greats of all black rugby, John Olamu, Christian Cullen, Andrew Mearns, you mentioned him, never played against the Lions. So for me to get the opportunity in 2005, that was definitely a massive highlight. Yeah, it wasn't for me. I broke my leg in Rotorua after about 21 minutes. <laughs> yeah. and, and, uh, got stretched to hospital and the bloke, oh, you know, he said, the, the young kid they left behind just asked me for my kit. He said, can I have your kit? <laughs> <laughs> so I said, go and find me some morphine. You can have the whole kit bag, mate. No worries at yeah. all. <laughs> and listen, you played here in the UK as well. You had a little stint with, I think, Leeds, the Ospreys in Wales, and then Saracens and, and Montpellier. So, uh, I mean, I guess you'd achieved everything you wanted to back in NZ. How did you look back on, on the five years that you spent over here in the UK? Okay, playing your rugby very fondly I was apprehensive as to what I was walking into when I came to this part of the world and the unknown about the standards the style of rugby uh, the training methods would they be remarkably different than what I was used to you know when you're getting into your 30s as many of us old rugby players do know you don't know it at the time your body starts to feel a little different and, and being overtrained, I think was something I was a little bit concerned about I did actually, especially when I went into some of the sides that recognised how they could get the best out of me, and that certainly wasn't on the training field. Ended up doing things like playing badminton with Glenn Jackson when the other guys were in the gym pushing weights. So, uh, look, I really enjoyed it. What I did, Lawrence, is I learnt more about the game than I ever had in New Zealand. 
making your way through, like you say, those various sides with different thoughts and the way they want to play the game. You know, the French, the Welsh, uh, the English. It was great to get into those environments and understand what their mentality about rugby is and the way that they feel that they play to their strengths. Um, I felt I had to be much more creative in this part of the world as a scrum half. I felt that we're pretty used to rifling onto quick ball back in New Zealand, quick ruck speed. Got a lot more static, especially in January and February. The pitches got a bit sticky. So I had to be more creative and try and generate momentum and, and it made me think more as a player. So I absolutely enjoyed it. And the other part of it was, as you very well know, mate, rugby still retained its amateur ethos of camaraderie. And it was great to be playing against all of those players you mentioned up until I retired from international rugby and then come over and have a lot of them as my teammates and now very good friends. So since I've been here, hence the uh, scratchy voice, all I've done is catch up with guys I've played against them with and uh, going out and having a beer and seeing what's happening in their lives. So that, that was a great part of the game as well. We're, what, less than 12 months out from the World Cup now. I know we don't like always talking about it, but it is a, a thing. I remind people that, look, six of the nine World Cups have been won by New Zealand and, and South Africa. So, uh, you know, three apiece. England have managed it once. But I always felt, especially around this time of year, the Southern Hemisphere, when we were playing against each other, I'll be honest with you, you know, maybe England took it on for a little while, but the Southern Hemisphere were out in front by a long way in terms of the results. You know, you could play each other 100 times. They, they might win 90 out of 100, you know. But you've got to think to yourself, looking at all these autumn international series, the, the hemispheres have never been closer than they are right now. You've got France unbeaten in 13 somehow, and they're playing really well. Ireland, well, we'll go through their test results in a minute, but they've been unbelievable last six months. The game has changed in terms of the laws, and, and I think it's, brought, it's actually brought the hemispheres closer than it ever has before. I totally agree. And we're not seeing any more huge amounts of counter-attack rugby. You know, and that's that's where the All Blacks were always so lethal. When the teams aimlessly gave them the ball back, or you had a, a guy like Richie McCaw out there, when you had a little bit more freedom at the breakdown, more freedom than you've got now, uh, particularly defensively, you know, to turn that ball over and catch the opposition out, you know, that's where the All Blacks really clicked into action um, and caught teams on the hop because of their, their counter-attack. Don't see them doing that as much now. They're a team much more orientated and playing territory. I certainly feel and agree that the top two teams in the world at the moment are France and Ireland, and it's pretty hard to separate both of them. They've got quality across the park. I think where we've not adapted is we've, we've probably not realised that the game is all about now big, strong ball carriers, men that are hard to move away from the breakdown, and we haven't adjusted to that. You know, we're, we're still a little light in those areas. I look at the back row of Ireland and France in particular. They're just big, big men. The Argentinians, you know, they're just... Big brutes who are tough. So they've, got some, they've got some monster ball carriers. And as you say, it's not just the carrying and the amount of people they can do that. But once you have the ball, you've got to take other guys away from it. And that's that's a hard thing to do in the game without one getting sent off or two uh, giving away a penalty. And big ball runners like that command two tacklers usually. Yeah. Uh, which then leaves you defensively short. And we haven't got that type of ball carry at the moment. So like in a nutshell, yeah, I agree with you. The laws have slightly changed, which is allowing teams to be a little less mobile, but bigger and tougher. And then secondly, I think it's because the All Blacks have fallen away. And tell me how the ABs looked at by, back home at the moment. They obviously, they're in transition. I, I hate using that word, but they are making some changes. There's a few players they've left behind. They, they lost a, a home series to Ireland, which... Never goes down well. First time ever. They lost a home match to Argentina, but they've still come out the other side. They've got the Rugby Championship trophy in their cabinet. And, uh, you know, on this tour, up until uh, maybe the eight minutes before the end of yesterday's game, they're, they're playing some pretty good rugby. The problem is they're just still on a roller coaster. Their fluctuations are very un-all black-like. Inconsistent, aren't they? They're inconsistent at the moment. Yeah. 
And you usually get a standard where the All Blacks sit and they might drop away a little bit or sometimes they might have an outstanding performance. But at the moment, when they're doing big jumps on performance, having drifts in games like they did over 10 minutes at the weekend, it's just very uh, unusual for All Black sides to, to do that. And here's an easy way to describe it. Against South Africa at Ellis Park, in the, in the second test after being resoundingly beaten in the first, they were simply outstanding. They moved the ball over the 100 metres of the field. They used the full width and they ran South Africa off the feet. South Africa were replacing forwards just before half time and that was in my mind right now we're right now we this is in our dna this is in our blood this is how all blacks play and so i thought we're really starting to write the way that we've been performing they went to christchurch two weeks later and played argentina in christchurch and went into a negative mindset kicking orientated game and got beaten that's just really bizarre to me that they would have one game plan that was so all black like and then go to Argentina and be scared of playing and kick the ball away and and ultimately got beaten so that's a real worry of where they sit so they've obviously changed a couple of things in their coaching structure haven't they and um, I wonder how, how you see that going and also something that's kind of a developing story here at the moment is England are obviously looking for a replacement for Eddie Jones after the World Cup and perhaps New Zealand are in the same situation and um, it seems very much that Scott Robertson is in the thoughts and on the shortlist as a potential successor to to Eddie. So I just wonder what your thoughts were about his sort of qualities for that role. Would it be the right one for him or should he hang on and try and get that All Blacks job? Yeah, it's obviously very topical at the moment, isn't it? No doubt the All Blacks have had their challenges, as you mentioned. You know, they had to get rid of two of their coaches, John Plumtree and Brad Moore. Uh, they brought in Joe Smith and they brought in Jace Ryan. Seems to have helped to a degree. The culture looks a bit better. Uh, so whatever was going wrong there seems to have been reset. There's still in my mind some worries about uh, some of the decisions they're making in terms of selections. In my mind, they needed to come here and treat this like a World Cup. Quarterfinal, semi-final, final. So Wales, Scotland. England, bang, 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 same team, out you go, in the Northern Hemisphere environment, regardless of uh, situation, the same team's going to play. If there's an injury, we'll replace them. They beat Wales really well, an understrength Wales side, and then changed 10 players against Scotland, struggled away in that game a bit after a good start, and then they changed another eight, I think it was, for the England game. So, you know, that to me is like what's going on within the coaching group that pushes them in that direction. Obviously, they are there, though, till the Rugby World Cup. Scott Robertson has had some, very much in his mind, some disappointment because he's lost a little trust in the New Zealand Rugby Union who have made him some promises and then changed their mind. So would he trust that, regardless of what happens at the Rugby World Cup, would he coach the All Blacks? Because I've said that before and it hasn't happened. So I would imagine he's a bit worried about hanging on and then the All Blacks win the World Cup and then they don't offer him the job. When there's a team knocking his door down, very much um, at the moment. What is it that makes him such a good coach and in such high demand? What Scott Robertson's very, very good at is he's very good at creating a culture. And what good coaches do is they understand the game, yes, which you know they all do. But equally, they have this ability to get a group of other people around the team that enable them to function and create the culture. Now, what is culture? Culture is all about making players happy in their environment. Every team at the moment across the board really has multicultural people involved in it, you know, and all of them have different types of religion, different types of social activities, and trying to keep them happy and their families happy is the key thing. So he is very good at theming. So theming is creating goals for players and for the team to create success. He's got a very good brain for the game, but he's got good, for want of a better word, minions underneath him that help him implement that. So, you know, that's the key thing that you want. You see in the way that teams respond and group around Scott Robertson when they win or when they're doing sort of celebrations like break dance or whatever, because he's part of the team. And that's key. You know, you want to to get the best out of players, you want them in an environment where they're going to thrive. 
I mean, it's fascinating you say that because, you know, the game is tactical. It's very technical. You need to be good students of the game and understand that. But it's about humans as well. And the game is in, in the head, in the heart. Listen, Marshy, we've got a few more questions for you later on in the podcast, but it feels like a right time just to uh, get stuck into this weekend's rugby. <laughs> Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, and this episode of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast is brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers, and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. The Evening Standard Rugby Podcast with Lawrence Delalio, supported by Fuller's London Pride, official beer of Premiership Rugby. Right, no Premiership matches this weekend, of course. The Premiership Cup is on, so we're going to keep our focus on all things international. There's only really one place to start, and that's with England's comeback against New Zealand, despite the score being 25-6 in favour of the All Blacks with just eight minutes to go. Somehow, it ended up 25 points apiece in a lovely twist of fate. The last time that England and the All Blacks drew a match was actually on the 6th of December 1997, also at Twickenham. I was playing for England that day. I think I may have even galloped over for a try. And I was captain briefly. Uh, That didn't last long. Um, and then playing for the All Blacks and leading the All Blacks was a certain Justin Marshall. And uh, <laughs> as I seem to remember, Marshy, that you were on a world record uh, number of wins at the time. Yeah. You were on a real roll. As you said, you'd just come back from South Africa, having created a bit of history over there. And somehow, we, you know, on that occasion, it was us that were ahead at half time. I think 23-6 or something. And then uh, it ended up, what, 26 all? That's exactly right. So when I saw what happened at the weekend, it made me think back and revert to that particular game. And I honestly remember sitting in the changing room because you guys dominated us for the majority of the game and we were really struggling to find any rhythm. And I remember sitting in the changing room after the game actually thinking, how on earth did we manage to even draw that game? And feeling relief. Because equally, what were you feeling? At half time, I remember going down the tunnel and I was in our changing room. I was throwing up. Everyone else was throwing up. Yeah. And we looked at each other and thought, well, one, we're not fit enough to play test rugby at the very top table. We need to get ourselves a damn sight fitter. And we made a pledge after that game that we said, look, we're kind of fit. We're OK. We're fitter than the Welsh, the Scots and the Irish. But none of them have won the World Cup. If we want to win a World Cup. We've got to get ourselves in the best shape of our lives. And we've got to be fitter than these guys. Because, you know, you don't lose leads like that at half time if you've got a tiny bit left in the tank. So it was a big moment for us because it taught us that there was a long, long way between us and at the top. Now, Nick, what was it? 14-0 to New Zealand after 10 minutes? I 
mean, I bet most of that Barbara Brigade hadn't even got into their seats. <laughs> Absolutely not. No, still carrying uh, eight points stacked. But I mean, it was a bit of a horror show start for England, wasn't it? I felt for uh, Jack Van Portfleet because that was the worst possible start he could have had with that inset pass off the lineup. Credits him for sticking at it. But uh, England, I just felt that of all the talk and everything that they came to do, there were too many sort of one-up runners of the big carriers and they were taking contact on their own a bit. And so then they were getting isolated and that seemed a little bit too easy for New Zealand to deal with that at the breakdown. And then all of a sudden, obviously in the last eight minutes, they started to build that sort of continuity attack. Marshy, the All Blacks, I thought they played some really good rugby in that first half. Tactically, you know, they were cross-kicking and they, they had a height advantage on the wings. They suddenly found some ball carriers that were punching holes through the middle. I mean, that's some of the best rugby they played for a little while, I think. I agree. And they really looked like they knew the areas that they wanted to attack England. And they did it really well, you know, finding width when they needed it. I feel that, you know, three years ago when they last played, England's defence was a lot more aggressive. And in your face, I think they've backed off a little bit defensively, England, from where they were. But when I look at England, I see a team that took 70 minutes to get functioning. But again, it's a team that hasn't played together. The inconsistency of selection, you know, Eddie's all over the shop with who he should be starting and who should be playing. And it literally took them that amount of time to try and figure out that what they were doing wasn't working. Now, when you're consistently playing week to week, you get to that point a lot quicker. And look at France and Ireland. Literally, if I said to you, OK, France and Ireland playing this week, we'll have a 10 quid bet, name starting 15s. We probably, both of them would get them exactly right. If we were to name the England or starting 15 for England or New Zealand at the moment, it'd be all over the bench. So both teams aren't creating any real confidence or belief in each other. I couldn't agree more. Ironically, it's the consistency of selection that gives you the consistency in results. That's right. Do you think that the All Blacks and the England coaches are focusing a bit too much on having a plan for a World Cup campaign in terms of developing different ways to play and trying to get different groups of players comfortable when actually what you guys are saying, actually the thing to do is pick your strongest 15? I think they're looking at what their problems are is they're seeing a below par or a performance which is creating a loss. And so the knee-jerk reaction from both squads is to make changes to the personnel because obviously they're feeling that it's the individual's fault. Now, I can certainly tell you from what I've seen with the All Blacks, it's not got anything to do with the individuals. It's got to do with some of the game plans and the, and the way that they're going into playing from week to week because they're so inconsistent in that. But, you know, you've got to go through adversity to become a good side. Look at that top side you talked about. The nucleus of that, Lawrence, was a 1995 side that lost to South Africa. And then we went on in 96 and 97 and, and never missed a beat, you know, because we learnt. And we didn't all of a sudden go when we lost that test match, OK, got rid of seven or eight players. And, and so then we become very good at winning games that probably we shouldn't have. And I just see that in England's performances because, you know, you've got key people in key areas that are being messed around. And I thought... In my mind, that was the best side that England had picked in a very long time. I liked the balance of it, but they, they hadn't ever played together. So where did they go next? Anyway, listen, we are going to talk perhaps uh, some of the other games this weekend. There's plenty more exciting finishes. Down in Cardiff on Saturday, Georgia pulled off one of the most unexpected wins over Tier 1 Wales, thanks to a penalty with just minutes to spare. Over in Dublin, Ireland managed to upset Australia with Ross Byrne, kicking a penalty on 76 minutes. And maybe that's just a team that knows how to win. Three defeats in a row for Dave Rennie's Australia. Wow, you know, there's going to be some heat coming on him. Marsha, just talk about Ireland just for a second. Let me give you their last six test results. Two wins in New Zealand away uh, to win the series for the first time ever. They've beaten South Africa in Dublin, 19-12, found a way to win. They've beaten Fiji, 35-17, and they've just beaten Australia, 13 points to 10. I mean, that is pretty awesome form. 
Yeah, and rightly so. That's why they are ranked number two in the world at the moment and deserve to be. And what I am witnessing is, again, a team that is just getting very good at knowing their DNA, you know, particularly when they've got Johnny Sexton out there. That's the one Achilles heel for them. Should he start to find that his body's letting him down and they don't have him as the architect, they're a slightly different side. But with him on the field, yeah, absolutely. Like the teams that you've just mentioned knocking over, seeing them in New Zealand, are very impressive. I caught up with um, Faz a couple of times. Um, he was a teammate and then a coach of mine at Saris. He's a special guy, isn't he? Yeah, he is. And he's got a really good mindset in where he wants to see this team go. He was insistent that they take that B-side out to play the New Zealand Māori. And he said, we just need to continue to grow our depth. And he said, I want to find out about a few players. And he said, I'm equally as passionate about that group of players winning that series against New Zealand Māori as I am about us in our test matches each weekend. So they're well coached, they're well drilled, they've got players that are British and Irish lines, they've got youth, they've got a player like Josh van der Flair, who's up for World Player of the Year, so they've got X-Factor. I can see why they are one of the most formidable teams to try to beat, and they can beat you away from home. And Marshy, listen, just a quick one on, on Dave Brennan's Australia, a bit like New Zealand. That I mean, they've never been at necessarily consistently that level, uh, well, not certainly for some time, but you know, this has been a disappointing tour for them. They haven't lost games by much, but to lose three on the spin, he, he's got to be feeling a bit of pressure there. Yeah, would have been feeling that again. You know, the All Blacks locked up the bledder, so uh, albeit try, quite controversially, um, but with a bit of a, a, a interesting referee call. But um, look, there's no doubt in my mind that... Uh, they, they are in a really bad place, Australia. They, they are really struggling again to try and find the identity. And again, they're just really lacking some key combinations in certain parts of the field. The loose boards, I think, are okay, even though they're messing around with them a little bit. But you know, the front row is, is always a bit vulnerable. And so when you haven't got a scrum platform, that's not ideal. It's not really a strength of Australian rugby. But to me, great Australian teams of the past have had awesome nines and tens and centres. The outside backs are always capable. I'm just not entirely sure they've found their right centre combination. They've messed around between McDermott and White at nine. And obviously they brought Foley back due to the fact that they lost a bit of faith in James O'Connor and Quade Cooper's missing. So, yeah, you know, they, they are running out of time to get key combinations who are the spine of the team for winning Rugby World Cups. Nick, South Africa sort of bounced back and beat Italy. I mean, they were obviously um, still on the truffles um, uh, having uh, <laughs> celebrated the win against Australia themselves, 63 points to 21. The Saffirs turned on the power and Scotland beat Argentina. And France, I mean, you know, they listen, they, they're on a serious run. 13 games, some of the biggest scalps in, in the game that they've won, Southern Hemisphere, all Northern. They beat Japan. They were always going to do that. But I suppose that game against South Africa was key. They've just re-signed their coaching team, Fabian Gautier. It's interesting, isn't it? They've re-signed their coaching team for another four years, even though there's one year to go. Everyone else is, is wondering who they're going to sign as their coaches. They, it's been a good place at the minute. It's continuity, isn't it? Which is rare for France. But they've managed to find that sweet spot in terms of balancing what happens in their amazing club rugby. And they've managed to, to, you know, to get things on an even keel to help the national side. And you know the rewards they're reaping are unbelievable. Look at the amount of players they've got and we talk about size and power and then what Sean Edwards has brought to them with a real direction and a real kind of collective spirit that's uh, it's quite a scary combination isn't it you think that they're hosting the World Cup as well it's going to have to be a very very good side that beats them uh, Marshy we always pick out an outstanding player across the weekend Outstanding Supported by Fuller's London Pride So we'll let you as our guest go first who was outstanding in your opinion? I must admit that uh, I watched that France game against Japan and um, you're going to have to help me with my pronunciation here. My French is not as good as what it could be, but the, the, the player 23, I, I would say Javier. I thought when he came on, man, 
he usually starts. He can start at 10. He can start at 15. Um, the last time out I saw him play was live was against the All Blacks when he was when he's at fullback. He's just got power. He's got sidestep. He's got class. He did a chip over the top and a pass, and he beat three players. Uh, he was only on for about 25 minutes. And so for me to say he's the most my most outstanding player of the weekend, even though I might not have pronounced his last name correctly. Uh, None of us are going to step in there and help you out. But listen, any, anyone playing for France has to be outstanding at the weekend uh, at the moment because they're on such a roll. Nick, for you, it was definitely maybe a, a weekend for the bet. Some of the bench. I mean, Will Stewart first prop yeah, to score. He drives yeah. at Twickenham. Who was outstanding for you? I'll say David Ribbons. Obviously, the one massive line bust and offload out the back door to Farrell, which set up one of the tries. But there was also another pretty much suicide tight carry line. He just took the ball on. He just clearly came into it thinking, "There's nothing to lose here." I don't care about my own sort of personal safety. I'm just going to hit these massive lines and see if we can make some holes. And uh, they bust a line and, and made things happen. And uh, yeah, the bench totally changed the game for England there. Well, listen, I think two very worthy candidates. I have to go with the entire Georgian team, really. It's the first time they've beaten a Tier 1 nation, I think. Well, certainly the first time they've beaten Wales, um, which is a huge, huge win. The number nine, talk about pronunciations, Vasil Lozinadze, I think is his name. He was outstanding, the entire front row, and then obviously Matt Carver to, to slot that winning penalty. But I just think for a team like that, it's just a huge step forward. So I think Georgia get my outstanding uh, team of, of the weekend. That's for sure. Right, let's take a quick look ahead to next weekend. Uh, Springboks will be paying a visit to England. Nick, you know, how do you see this one going? I think it sounds very much like they'll revert to three lineup jumpers. So you might see, unfortunately, Lawrence, you might see a, a lock at six again, which obviously is not your favourite thing. I think obviously to combat the Springboks' power, but it's just going to come down to that, isn't it? If England can get parity or better in the type five battle, then um, in every sort of area of the pitch, then I think they've got a chance, haven't they? But it'll, that'll be their probably their toughest test, won't it, physically? Marshy, Australia against Wales, it's a must win for both nations, really. Do you want to predict that one for us? When I look at the way that both sides are playing, I still feel that Australia, that they're close enough. Although I, I, you know, I have said that I feel that I'm worried about where they are at. I still feel that if they get things right, I've got the ability to compete with with any side in the world at the moment. And they showed that in, in the French Test match, you know. So the fact is they'll be hurting after, you know, three losses on the bounce. And Wales are incredibly vulnerable at the moment. So I think Australia at full strength will be too good for Wales. Great stuff. Well, listen, the Premiership is also back in action. Um, so very quick predictions on those matches. Nick, the first two games, just give me a winner. Harlequins, Gloucester, Newcastle v Exeter. I think Quinns will probably just about shade it, but Gloucester will go the, go to the stoop and, you know, very much expecting to get that one over the line. And Newcastle will hope this is the time for them to get that kind of result, isn't it? This is, I think this is their stock in trade. You know, some of the clubs when they're missing a few in these windows, that's when they're desperately trying to get these results, aren't they? I've got the last two sale be Bristol, um, sale at home they're looking very strong I would see them continuing Pat Lamb's woes he's having a, a tough time of it with Bristol Bears and then Leicester against London Irish I think Leicester will have plenty in the tank really and, uh, and get themselves uh, a decent home win okay before we finish we've got a few more questions for you Marshy before you've got to dash off to the airport Tackled supported by Fuller's London Pride we ask all of our guests uh, a set of questions and get a little bit of banter out of them. Your full name, please, sir. Justin Warren Marshall. Warren. Kept that mm. one quiet, didn't you? Kept... <laughs> <laughs> you have a favourite takeaway? I do, actually. I enjoy a good old Indian curry. Good man. And who was your celebrity crush when you were a young man? Yeah, this might surprise you, but uh, it was Demi Moore. It's lucky I didn't say, like, George Revolta. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, it's never too late, mate. It's never too late. Um, <laughs> What was the last movie you watched? The new Top Gun. Loved it. 
Yeah, Mavericks, good movie. Uh, what does Justin Marshall have for breakfast? I'm very much an, an egg fan, so I hope everyone can understand that. I said E-G-G, egg. <laughs> uh, poached eggs, scrambled eggs, uh, boiled one, that's my go-to in the morning. Good man. Other than Marshy, what is your nickname amongst the players that you play with? Uh, the Wolf of Queenstown. <laughs> <laughs> what are you going to ask you to elaborate on that? <laughs> don't, 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 mate. This is a family show. Um, what's the best advice that you've ever been given? When I was going through a bit of a tiresome time with my rugby and under pressure and uh, I wasn't performing, Wayne Smith said to me, I can see that you've got the weight of the world on your shoulders, you don't look happy. Uh, and he said, I can see that you're reading every article, listening to every single piece of advice. He said, what a good player does is he puts them all into a filter and he puts the stuff that he believes that he should be listening to just out to the side. The rest of it goes into the bin and it'll keep you much clearer because at the moment you're just taking everything on board and you can see it sitting on your shoulders. And it was just really good advice for me to mentally just clear my head and just process what I needed to and get on with what I knew was right. He said, being a filter, you only know what's best for you. Deep down, you're the person who knows how to get the best out of your game. So, And what a great job he's done, by the way, with New Zealand, yeah. the women's team winning the World Cup over there. Um, the most famous person in your phone book, please, mate. That's maybe not one of your fellow All Blacks. I would like to say that it was someone incredibly, that I had their phone number, incredibly important. But ultimately, I haven't got their phone number, but they are in my phone, and that's Tiger Woods. <laughs> <laughs> So I, I got my picture taken with Tiger and I talked to him and chatted to him. So I yeah. just put him in my contacts with a photo of me there, but his actual phone number isn't there. <laughs> That's very good. Um, who was the funniest person in, in the changing room that you played in, either at Canterbury or the, or the ABs? Certainly Andrew Mertens, is, he's the most, I guess, cryptic funny, but a lot of his stuff can go completely over your head. So I would have to say back in my time, a guy called Eric Rush, he could always bring tears to your eyes. Lovely man. Who would play you in the film about your life? I like to think someone like Matt Damon or Chris Hemsworth. Is any one of those A-list hunks? Yeah. Well, they, they just look like guys that die their hair. <laughs> do you have dogs or cats at home or, or neither goldfish goldfish i like it and um your karaoke song what's your go-to well certainly not tins's karaoke song which he oh my god he's now doing it on celebrity <laughs> treasure island i see which is obviously ice ice baby i'm a bit of a uh, john farnham fan so uh the old whisperer jack so yeah pressure down i can go to it and your uh, ideal party guest or your ideal dinner guests Oh, I just recently watched the documentary on Barack Obama. And yeah. man, what an interesting bloke he is. And I'd like to know exactly how they went about getting um, Bin Laden as well. So he'd be a good guy to have along. And listen, who is the best rugby player of all time? Or who was the person that you really looked up to from New Zealand or anywhere in the world? Maybe as the best nine of all time or, or someone that just made you think differently about the game? I certainly feel that I was very fortunate to play with some, and against some very good players. And when you sort of think about John Olomu and what he did for the game, that I don't say him, it goes to show you how much regard I had for this player. It was a guy called Christian Cullen. I saw him do things on the rugby field and do things for us when we were in a pile of crap that none others have um, been able to emulate in my mind. So Cully's my favourite player, even though he's my teammate. <laughs> yeah, no, he was, he was a special, special... I mean, I saw him at the Hong Kong Sevens, I think, for the first time and just thought, wow. And some yeah. of the tries that he uh, he scored um, across his career, amazing, amazing stuff. 
you played in the Premiership. Would you say you had a, there, there was a moment there that you can recall as your as your favourite Premiership moment? For me, when I got into the Premiership, we had an instance uh, where we were sort of bottom of the table with Saris and Bath were top of the table, uh, and they had a team full of stack full of superstars. And Eddie Jones, who was coaching at the time, came up with a genius game plan, which was pretty much just run at Butch James all day and make him tackle. And uh, that was it. It was as simplistic as that. And we went away to Bath, and it's a great place to play, awesome crowd, and a really good place to keep them quiet and go and win. And uh, we went there and beat a team that was on fire at the time. And we were just below middle mid-table. And we just had a great win. And I had a good day out. Well, listen, it's been a real pleasure for me to talk to you and, and hopefully for everyone to listen. Uh, thank you, uh, Justin. And great to catch up with you. I know you're heading back tonight. Uh, I'm hoping that you'll be back in France next year, joining us for the uh, for the Rugby World Cup. So thank you for being our guest. And uh, we look forward to seeing you next year. Been great to see you too, mate. Thanks very much for having me on, everyone. So that's all for this episode of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast, supported by Fuller's London Pride. Don't forget, you can watch the full video episode at londonpridebeer.co.uk. If you enjoyed listening, then please give us a like and share the episode with your mates. My thanks to uh, Justin Marshall and Sir Nick Puriwell. We'll be back next week. So will Sarah. We wish her the very best in terms of her recovery. Thanks for listening and goodbye. The Evening Standard Rugby Podcast with Lawrence Delalio, Supported by Fuller's London Pride. Official beer of Premiership Rugby. Support with pride. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, and this episode of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast is brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.